0: you're listening to the broadway podcast network good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to the fabulous feinstein's 54 below before we get started this evening just a polite reminder please take this moment to silence your cell phones also there is no flash photography please
1: welcome to the feinstein's 54 below podcast i'm nella vera the club's marketing director This week, we have an extra special episode with a fantastic guest host. Today's episode will be hosted by Alan Seals, who along with being one of the founders of the Broadway Podcast Network, is also the host of the very popular theater podcast. Welcome, Alan.
0: Hey, now, it's nice to be here.
1: So great to have you. Alan, by the way, is also one of the producers of Is This a Room and Dana H., playing in Rep on Broadway at the Lyceum Theater. And I just want to pause for a moment and say congratulations on that. Thank you. Those Thank are you. amazing pieces of theater. I saw them both. And I want to encourage all our listeners to get their tickets. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that on Broadway before. So for everybody who's wondering what they're about, get ready for something really special with each one of them.
0: They're amazing. True stories. You cannot miss this. It's such new theater. And, and it's very exciting to have them both both playing in rep.
1: I love the idea of documentary theater like that being on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Like real life dramatized on stage.
0: Yeah, yeah, when you think about like a, a transcript of an interrogation, you don't think Broadway play, but the way that it's executed and delivered is just brilliant and beautiful. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about our special guest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Alan is here today because we are partnering with a theater podcast to release this week's episode. We have a really epic and exciting guest and one podcast just wasn't going to be enough. So we decided to team up for this interview. And also, Alan, I hope this is going to be one of many future collaborations between our two podcasts.
0: I hope so, too. It's such a great idea.
1: And now I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to let you take over.
0: All right, here we go. Today's guest is a Tony Award-nominated actress, maybe best known for her portrayal of Glinda in Wicked. Other Broadway credits include Doralee Rhodes in Dolly Parton's 9 to 5, the musical, and Brooke Ashton in Noises Off. She became a worldwide triple threat known as Ivy Lynn on NBC's musical drama, Smash. Other television credits include recurring roles on Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, The Good Wife, Braindead, and Louie, among many others, and she can be seen performing across the globe to sold-out houses, including concerts with the New York Pops, At Carnegie Hall, I'm running out of breath, (laughs) and the National Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center, and the New York Philharmonic at Lincoln Center. She's recorded three albums of her own, and is now making her Fifty Four Below debut with a six-show series running from November second to seventh. Megan Hilty, welcome to this very special crossover episode between the Theater Podcast and the Feinstein's Fifty Four Below Podcast.
2: Hey, how's it going? Good. I catch my breath after all that. That was quite the intro wow
0: (laughs) well you're welcome and thank you for doing so much for all of us to talk about (laughs) (laughs) no problem (laughs) so 54 below uh you're you're coming it's coming up this this concert everybody go get tickets to 54 below uh, to your show 54 below you can go to your instagram get tickets go to 54 below, get tickets uh but this is actually your 54 below debut yes yeah so there have been many years of you, many years of 54 Below. Why just now is this coming to be?
2: You know, it's it's only now just worked out uh, to be a possibility because uh, with concert, concert contracts are uh, are a little different uh, in that you kind of have to sign off on not performing within like 90, a 90-mile 90 radius of whatever theater you're performing in for, uh, you know, for at least like a couple months before and after. So that, yeah. So that the ticket sales aren't competing for the same, the same market. And it makes sense. You know, at first it's like, oh, that you know, that's weird. But, but when you think about it, it actually makes sense. You don't want to split your audience between two places. So, you know, it just hasn't worked out until right at this moment for this um, incredible thing that they're doing with the diamond series. Yes. Yeah, it's more like an experience than just a concert. It's a four-course dinner. You know, it's it's not your typical 54 Below show where there's multiple shows in a night. Like you come, you you spend some good time eating this amazing dinner and then you get that one show of the evening for whatever artist you're there to see. Um, I'm hoping you'll come and see mine, <laughs> but like Kelly's already done hers. Uh, Benanti, yeah. Yeah, Laura Benanti, um, is well into her amazing run there. And then Jennifer Holiday is going to be, uh, performing it, I believe in January. Can so, we talk
0: about her Tony performance for a oh second? My God. Yeah, oh she's,
2: she's amazing. She's an icon. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard.
0: And, and you seem, you're friends with her. Yeah. And maybe, you know, oh, I don't name. know
2: her. I, I don't you know don't? Her. I'm just a fan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, I thought. I th- gosh, I just assumed that like all Broadway divas, of which you are part <laughs> of, in my mind, I'll just have this secret Broadway diva club, right? Where you listen, hang I've got
2: you- my, I've got my club of Broadway divas, but you know, uh, unfortunately, I haven't, I haven't. Uh, uh, had the honor and pleasure to to befriend Miss Holiday. Well,
0: yeah. that's it. Uh, I, Jennifer is a one, is an avid listener of this podcast, Yay! I'm sure. So, <laughs> Jennifer, reach out to Megan. You guys need to be friends.
2: Hopefully, uh, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, where? Tell me about the story though, because when you're when you're crafting the story of, of the of the show, right? Because Fifty Four Below, it's it's like traditionally cabaret sort of mm-hmm. uh, concerts, and everything I've ever seen there has been a story about that person right Mm -hmm. it's it's which is basically sort of what I guess vocabularies are right it's a showcase what you can do showcase who you are and uh so was this sort of an easy thing for you to put together when you're putting together the show because you've got a big swath of of content and interests and credits and so how do you how do you condense it all into into one performance
2: well um years and years ago I did not want to do the cabaret scene I did like the idea of like a one person show just made me so nervous because I was like I don't have like a story to tell I don't have like a beginning middle and end and something to leave people with but it wasn't until it became clear that it's not about that the whole the whole point uh of doing these concerts is to see an artist as themselves and not the Mm. characters that they play. And so once I discovered that that's what it's really about, it it became so much easier to approach putting together a set list. Um, And really what's most important is picking these songs that, that are important in some way to you as the performer. Um, And, Uh, the songs come first and then you then the arranging of them to make sure that the energy is flowing correctly throughout the show you don't have too many ballads together you don't have too many of the same type of things together so that you know you want to keep people interested and and kind of go on this almost like roller coaster of an energy journey you know what I mean like um uh that has natural ebbs and flows and um Uh, And I'd like to think that over the years, I think I've been doing this for like 10 years now, um, I I have a general sense of what's going to work and what things need to be where to in what things need to be in certain places to make sure that I don't lose everybody. That's that's really cool.
0: I mean, it's it's more or less like workshopping uh, a Broadway show, right? You want to make sure that that the story flows and that the songs are in the right order and, and whatnot and adding and, and cutting. So do you do this? Did you put this all together on your own? Or like when you're looking back at your life? I, I'm thinking from a personal lens, right? If I were if someone were to say, Alan, you've got like two weeks to put together a cabaret show for something, you know, duplex 54 below green room 42, whatever the case is. I don't even know where I, where or even how I would start. So (laughs) where do you, where do you begin? Where do you begin with, with, I mean, do you start at the beginning? Like I'm born and this is a song that represents me. No, 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 no,
2: no, I, uh, so like I said, I started doing these types of shows about 10 years ago and it's, I just learn from each and every show. It's not like this is the first one that I've ever done and I have to start from scratch. Luckily, I've had, you know, years and years to kind of hone this. And um, and just as these shows are supposed to show you who we are as people, um, aside from our characters, we're constantly changing. And like I, I'm constantly doing different projects which add different, repertoire to so like these concerts at 54 below we'll, these will be the really the first ones that have stuff from uh the film that I did with Jesse Mueller Patsy and Loretta so mm-hmm. you know and we've kind of taken those and and morphed them into our own arrangements to fit our band to fit the setting to fit the context of the show so so it's not like we had to go and start from scratch. There's a lot of stuff that's already there. The What it comes down to is understanding who our audience is. Um, you know, we have a very theater savvy New York crowd, and that's a very specific thing. And that's different from, from uh, other cities that we might play, you know, that might... That might come in not knowing who I am at all, you Mm. know. So that's something to consider too. There's a lot of things to take into consideration. And luckily, um, I'm coming back to New York, you know, where I I feel like for this series in particular, you're gonna buy the ticket because you know the person, you know. um, uh, There's I I don't feel like there's gonna be a lot of people that I'm really introducing myself to for so this so that makes it a very unique set of circumstances which allows me to pull songs that wouldn't necessarily work anywhere else
0: is that some some sort of like uh inner inner struggle or inner uh i guess a, a a dichotomy of sorts in that you you are counting on the fact that people know who you are in this area but at the same time there's a little bit of of gosh I, it's all on me because you said you said originally that you were nervous to start doing these one person shows so now are you at a point where you're like, I have a reputation, I'm okay, I'm doing all right in this New York savvy theater savvy crowd, or is there still part of you that's like, are am I? Are people going to want to come see me?
2: Oh, there's always that. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's always that. Um, but what it, what I always come back to, like, I'm always nervous for everything, uh, which I think is a good thing because um, it keeps me on my toes. I'm mm-hmm. always I'm always trying to do better. You know, I'm not. I'm not phoning anything in. And honestly, during the run of this show, if something is not working, I will switch it with something else. Like that's, that's the luxury with these longer runs is that like, I can really feel, you know, not that I I'm not plan I don't, I don't think that anything's going to fall totally flat, but if it doesn't feel perfect, we have so much stuff in our repertoire that we can, we can change the run for the next night or My band is so amazing that I can call an audible during the show and they'll go with me and we'll just do something that wasn't planned, you know, but they're, but they're right there with me and they know all of these songs so well. We've been doing a lot of them for a really long time. And there's, everybody's just so in sync with each other that, um, that we're able to do that. That's, it's kind of how I've constructed these shows. You know, I, my band is made up of my husband and, Hmm. uh, and three of our best friends, you know, um, it's, we want you to feel like you have stumbled into our living room and we're all having a really great time together. I just happen to be wearing a really fabulous gown, you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) on top of it. Um, uh, I forget where I was going with this, but, um, all that to say, uh, uh, yes, I'm always nervous for many reasons, but. Uh, the great thing is I have surrounded myself, uh, with the best people on stage and what it comes down to is us just having a really awesome time together. And we hope that that reaches, you know, everybody in the room. Like I said, we want it to feel like you're in our living room.
0: So talk to me about where, where you started as a little kid and how you got into theater, because we're going to get to the, to the iconic never dying family of wicked. This show is gonna run forever. <laughs> forever. Right? We're, yeah. we're gonna get there. But but before that, you had to start somewhere. So where did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Seattle. Well just outside of Seattle in Bellevue, Washington. Um and I grew up uh, always singing, like always. And um my mom got me into voice lessons at an early age and my voice teacher uh, said you have a voice for classical Uh, for classical music and so she started putting me in all of these classical competitions and um, I went to an apprenticeship program with the San Francisco Opera I really thought that I was going to be an opera singer Um, but at that apprenticeship program uh, they I I discovered that you we wouldn't really work until our mid-30s because that's when a a female voice matures Um, yeah right. and telling a 16 year old that is like that felt like forever away that felt like i'm i'm never going to be 35 you know um and so i i went down the musical theater route but i was always doing community theater i i was part of a gilbert and sullivan theater troupe um and and i did during the summers i did a youth theater that took up the whole summer where we built the stages, we made our costumes, you know, and, and, uh, and performed for the whole school district at the beginning of the school year, right at the end of summer. So it was always, I was always a part of um, theatrical productions and singing always.
0: What is it about the culture? Is it culture? Was it chosen family i I say what is it about the culture but was was it that 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 drew you into theater because like what is it for you that brings you back to the stage every time because i I know that there are so many stage broadway performers that like go tv and film and then you do tons of cartoon voices and voiceover work and whatnot but what i find that and tell, correct me if I'm wrong for you specifically, but people always want to come back to the stage. They always want to come back to theater sure. because there's something about that live moment.
2: Well, yeah, it's a very primal human connection. That's it. Like, that's it. It's a, the theater is the only type of arts where you, there is a, an exchange of energy, you know? So that will never die because we always need people. We always need that connection, you know? Um, So yeah, it's, it's completely understandable that everybody always wants to flock back to the theater, whether you're doing a concert or, you know, a play or a musical or an opera, what have you, any, anything. Um, We always, always, always need that human connection.
0: Was that, is that what, sort of looking back at your life uh, as a young child, was it that sort of thing that drew you to it as a kid? Or did you not realize that until like later on in life?
2: I don't know. To be quite honest, I think I just, it filled certain needs that just children in general have, like feeling feeling like you belong to something. I think that's really important for young people to feel like they're you're connected uh, and you belong to some kind of group. And for me, it was my, my theater pals, uh, most of whom I didn't go to school with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I also, like I said, I was always singing. So having an actual outlet for that was necessary. Um, and it was kind of addicting, you know, and, and, I mean, to be super duper honest too, you know, I got a lot of attention when I was on stage, you know, I never mm-hmm. got that like in life. So as a young person in particular, that was really important to me as well. You know, getting attention, getting to use my voice and feeling like I belonged somewhere, uh, you know, it checked all of those super important boxes. Um, yeah. Do you have siblings? I do. I have two younger sisters. They're twins and they're gorgeous. They're like (laughs) five inches taller than me. They have really dark hair and they tan and like they're like just and they're funny and like smart and stuff. So like everybody loves them. So that was (laughs) another thing is that my uh, my family all like to joke. that That was the only reason why I became a performer because it was the only way that I could get any kind of attention. Because my sisters I, got it everywhere else. Yeah, well, that's that's why I
0: asked that because you're saying as a kid you didn't get attention, but but as the old as oh, the oldest no, no, no. child, like I was yeah. the oldest child too, and I was yeah. always demanding, like look at me,
2: yeah, I am the oldest. Yeah, I think I just required extra attention. Yeah. <laughs> Say what you will about what that means about me, but <laughs> some people no, I get it. Some
0: people are like that. And and no matter gosh, it's no matter how many accolades you get and how successful you are. I, I always I like the quote that Andre de Shields gave in his Tony Acceptance speech a couple of years ago, where he said, The the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. Yeah. That is that puts perfectly into words yeah. how so many of us operate. It's just like we're we're there's something in the back of our heads. Like we're just not good enough. We're just not there. We're just Mm -hmm. not able to fulfill whatever ache that is. Yeah. And then we get where and we think that, you know, we're we're continuing on and we get there and like, okay, so I'm here. Cool. Now I guess I'll just keep on going.
2: Yeah, well, there is no end point. There is no like point of success. Like there it's all ebbs and flows. It's it's gonna come and it's gonna go, and you're gonna be busy and you're going to be like you know, dying for work, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant ever changing battle.
0: (laughs) Well, how did you then taking it back to you then, how did you do you sort of branch out and do so much? Because it feels like all of these things you're doing could be one career in on their own, right? So you've got the musical theater, you've got TV and film and you've got voiceover work and you've got the independent, the concert, the concert traveling and touring and being a mom—that's a hard enough job in and of itself. I mean, I know how you got to be a mom. That's pretty simple biology. But um, <laughs> the the whole, uh, all of the other uh, roles that you're doing, why why did you keep adding? And not saying that as a bad thing. I'm curious no, to, to yeah. explore this as to say why why continue to grow when all of these require so much so much time on their own.
2: Right. Well, a long time ago, actually, when I. When I came out to L.A. with Wicked, which was long time ago. I want to say like, is it 12 years ago? Uh, 13 years ago? It was a long time ago. Um, sure, sure, we'll go with that. Uh, but I came out to, to establish the sit-down company of Wicked out in Los Angeles. And that's when my my horizon started to broaden a little bit. Because for a long time, once I decided musical theater was it, I was like, oh, that's it. Like, I don't want to do television, movies, like all that. You know, I was real like... I don't know what I had against everything else, but, um, uh, once I came out here, a lot of other opportunities started to present themselves, especially being in that, that platform of being in Wicked in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, I started to really like question where I wanted my career to go at that point. And, and in doing that, I was like, well, whose career do I want to emulate? And, the person who came up immediately was Bernadette Peters. And now, before I go any further, I want to v- clarify that i I never the goal was not to be Bernadette Peters because nobody can be Bernadette Peters. <laughs> she is a singular talent, and nobody, and I think it is foolish for anybody to try to be another person. That is not what I'm saying. what What I wanted to emulate was the many different branches her career you know, the tree of her career had, you know, um, because she did it all. She did movies, television, voiceover, concerts, Broadway, and dominated all of them, you know. Um, And might I add an amazing person on top of dominating Mm -hmm. everything, you know, like everybody wants to work with her because she's a phenomenal person on top of her talent. Anyway, um, so I started thinking, oh, maybe the, the key to longevity in this business is to d- diversify and to have all those branches, you know? Um, and and it was always a dream of mine to be in voiceover and animation. Um, I, you know, like so many people, I wanted to be a Disney prin- princess growing up. I didn't want to like put on the gowns. I wanted to do the voices. I wanted to sing the songs. I didn't want to look like them. I just wanted to like, <laughs> I, wa- I specifically wanted to voice them. And um, and so I started, uh, I, I, I started going down that route. Yeah. That was like 14 years ago that I got my, uh, my voiceover agent out in Los Angeles and started really, cause that is a very different career Absolutely. Filled with very different. It, it's, it's just a whole different, it's a different talent. It's a different, uh, business sense, like every, every sense. And I love it. It is probably my absolute favorite thing to do ever. Um and luckily I started pounding the pavement 14 years ago and just chipped away and chipped away and paid my dues and paid my dues and um and have built this thing that I'm super proud of um in the animation world. But the same thing with uh and all of these things just kind of terrified me. You know, um TV, film, concerts, all of these things they just sounded like you know, they're so different you know, I, I, but at the same time, what, what I've, what I started learning really quickly is that, um, by doing these other things, these other mediums, it actually makes me better in the other things. If that makes sense. Like, it's just, I don't know, It it's, it's, it by opening my, my world up, you know, to those different types of mediums, it just fed Like, like the TV stuff fed the theater thing in in a, in a host of different, you know, um, ways that, I mean, we could talk all day about that. Um, but yeah, I, it became a long time ago, apparently like 14 years ago, it became very important to me to diversify so that I could actually have a long career in this business.
0: (sighs) that's i'm I'm glad that you said the thing about the the tv uh kind of crossing over because that's i wanted to ask about smash next because that's that's it's been a hot minute since the since that was out and um that propelled any well i guess sort of the fortunate and unfortunate part of the broadway world is that to be it's really really hard to get like super famous and super and therefore some would say super successful um in just on just broadway stage so then you add tv and film to that and that boosts people to a whole different level right mm-hmm. so you've taken the broadway the singing the performing and put it on tv which has t- taken you as your career like you said one one helps the other so now on a nash an international level people see you on tv doing what you used to do just for in-person Broadway audiences. And it's pushed everything into a whole new realm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so looking But looking back on that though, like um, I don't know the order of operations of, of your TV career. So what were you already sort of, um, were you already deep into the TV and film world before smash came along or did that propel, um, the TV and film afterwards after no, you got well known I, for smash. no
2: no no i was trying i was trying to uh to like knock down the door to the television world and before before smash i had done some like small roles some recurring roles and stuff like that so i so the tv world was not like this totally you know unknown thing when i got smash um but it was a very very um uh, it, 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 I didn't just like fall into it. It was a very like, not calculated, but like I, I left New York after nine to five closed. I mean, if we're going to get real, real, real about this, Let's I was, real, real. I was, I was really brokenhearted about how nine to five closed. It, it, that was one of the biggest heartbreaks of my life was getting our really? our closing notice for 9 to 5. It didn't make any sense to any of us playing to all of these like sold out houses that were screaming on their feet, singing with us and dancing at the end of every show to get our clothes. We just didn't, it made zero sense. And I was really, um, I, I had um, come back to New York from LA where I was doing Wicked And we did the out of town tryouts uh, for nine to five in Los Angeles as well. And and so when we got our closing notice, I decided uh, because I was so sad and angry to be really honest, I was like, I can't stay here. I can't stay in New York. I need to, uh, like people will smell (laughs) the (laughs) anger and the hurt, you know, I'm not gonna get a job here. I think this is the time to go back to LA and start pounding the pavement and really trying to break into the TV and film world. Because also by that point, I had done many, um, readings and workshops and helped like develop these shows for people where at the end they're like we love you nobody could do this better but we have to cast somebody from television or like a pop star a movie Mm -hmm. star you understand right you know because we have to sell tickets and so finally after that had happened a handful of times at the end of nine to five I was like fine if that's what you're going to hire I'm gonna go be that I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to get some TV credits so that I can actually like (laughs) work in these shows that I'm helping to develop, you know, like, um, so I, you know, it, it was kind of a, it was multiple reasons. I, I was, I was upset. I couldn't stay in New York. And I knew that, um, in order to get the roles that I wanted to, I had to diversify and I had to really, really spend the time focusing on the television end of it. Um, so I did and I came back to LA and I started doing those small, those small roles and gaining people's trust and learning about how to work on camera. And then smash came along, you know, um, and kind of and we all know how that ended up. <laughs>
0: did, did you get the did you get asked to audition for Smash based on your contacts in LA or New York? Because I, I think it would I think I'll let you answer first. No,
2: let's be super clear. Nobody asked me to audition. <laughs> it was in um it was in uh it was during pilot season. No kidding. What what was very helpful is that um the uh the person who produced nine to five, uh Bob Greenblatt what it smash was his project and he was he had just taken over at nbc so he was aware of who i was because we'd worked together for years but nobody asked me to audition for it <laughs> it was one of those like my agent's and manager at the time got me a, an an appointment for it and i went in to the los angeles associate casting director and put myself on tape like everybody else i did all the scenes i did the songs and um yeah so <laughs> there was no like, wow. yeah, there was no like. Will you come in and read for this? No, <laughs> I, uh, my yeah, my.
0: I I would have just figured that there would have been a short list of of people who are amazing on stage that are going to translate well to camera, and you were on that short list, and then it was just an easy choice, right? I,
2: I... <laughs> <laughs> it's a brutal business, and it rarely, rarely happens like that. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's so much rejection and so just so mm-hmm. much struggle. Like you said, you pound pounded the payment. And I think it takes a lot of a lot of strength, a lot of a lot of chutzpah to be able to say, you know what, I'm I'm freaking angry with this city here. I'm gonna go to a different one mm-hmm. and and be able to bounce back and forth between the two when needed because I've been so angry with New York sometimes and I just hibernate. I sit in, sure. I sit in my, yep. my office here and I'm like, well, I'm just going to wait to feel better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that works. It works too. <laughs> at that point in my life, I was like, I need to go, ch- I need to switch gears. I need to focus on this. You know, this door has closed. So I need to like burst open some other doors in in LA. And the other part of that was I I had already lived in Los Angeles for years at that point and i i'm happy here i'm happy with the sunshine and the space and you know at that time i was going for hikes all the time i don't anymore um <laughs> but uh i i just you know i i i liked being here and uh when it really came down to it i was like i'm not happy in new york i'm and i'm happy in the sunshine i need to go at, i need to go focus on these other things in the sunshine and get my get myself together so that i can you know, when I come back to New York, it's in a it's in a better headspace mm-hmm. um, than than how I left it.
0: Well, then fast forward a little bit to to I guess now and the the Wicked fandom, the Wicked family. You 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 said you helped originate the sit, the first sit down cast out in L A.
2: No, and- so that was for nine to five, not for Wicked.
0: Oh oh oh, sorry. Yeah so, yeah yeah. Sorry. So Wicked, yeah. But okay, so you're part of this Wicked. Legacy. It, it really is becoming this legacy of amazing individuals that once you become an alphabet or a Glinda, or even to some extent the Nessa Rose and a Bach and a Fiero, oh, sure, like yeah. these, these mean roles that you it, the show itself gets so much attention constantly, even after 20 years, right? They just had the, the uh, of,
2: sixteen years.
0: The sixteen was it I'm 16, getting they, sixteen years? 16 yeah. Because yeah,
2: I came in nine months after it opened um and i did the first wicked day uh where they shut down you know the gershwin like alleyway mm-hmm. and 51st street um yeah and they did yeah
0: so this whole this whole show, though, has changed so many lives and influenced so many people and inspired so many individuals to, to follow the same path. Uh, at the time, I guess looking back on it now, you have a lot of perspective, but at the time, were you able to sort of understand the level of importance you were playing in the legacy of the show?
2: Well, I mean, there was no way to understand, like, how it would affect, like, the future. Like, you, you know, there... I had just come out of college and I was terrified. I was, I was legit terrified. I came in, uh, uh, right as Kristen Chenoweth and Laura Bell Bundy were leaving and me and, uh, me and, uh, Jennifer Laura Thompson were coming in. So Jennifer Laura Thompson took over for Kristen and I stood by for her. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was a, baby. I was a baby. It was my first thing. Like I just graduated and, um, it, it was not lost on me how huge that show was. Um, you know, I was reminded every day when we went out the stage door. Um, and luckily I just think my lucky stars every day that social media wasn't the way it was back then. Cause I don't know if my, I don't know if my mental emotional state could have really like handled that i can barely handle it now <laughs> but with wicked there's so much like brutal comparisons and like oh everybody's got their opinions that just must be aired um, um <laughs> but i don't think i i don't think i could have handled that you know um i couldn't that's a, yeah
0: that's something that i think uh, is worth talking or at least acknowledging right here is is that the people that are being talked about read this stuff and are also real people and feel things.
2: We're humans. And and it's not like we're phoning this stuff in. We're giving it everything we have and for people to just like brutally tear it apart for what? Like, it just seems so unfair.
0: (laughs) I saw the, I was at the reopening of Moulin Rouge the other day. Uh Uh-huh. And, and of course, Karen Ali was not there anymore. Natalie, Natalie Mendoza's there. And immediately the first thing these two people behind me started talking about as soon as intermission came was this, this like debate over who they thought was better. It was Natalie or Karen.
2: That's I think, I think it's, it's crazy to me. Um, it is crazy to me how, how people um, dehumanize us like that. It, it's, it's really crazy to me. Uh, and and really feel a sense of entitle- entitlement and ownership over us, this stage door stuff has gotten like crazy out of control, like crazy out of control. Like the the amount of... Uh, of like verbal abuse that I have suffered because people thought they were giving me a compliment after I've just like sweated and given all, like everything I had for hours on a stage, you know, and people think they're giving you a compliment and think that they have the right to talk about your body and all of these things. Like it is, it is beyond me. The sense of like dehumanization that, that, that people it's it's just crazy to me, and that is so horrendous to hear people doing that in 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 a theater in the middle of someone's performance. That they're just, I, yeah, that's that's really, it's too bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost, I did almost say something, and, and but I didn't want to get well, into what it. it.
2: To what end? Well, yeah, you what, know, well, what, yeah, what, what's that going to do? You know. But it's yeah. like it's
0: it's literally her her opening night, her first time on Broadway I mean, in forever.
2: Yeah, and and everyone's
0: a different person, oh, right? And yeah. I I just I, again I I acknowledge the privilege that I have as a cis white man and not having to deal with a lot of the objectification that, that people are put under, especially women and women of color and and whatnot. And yeah, my mental state, now that you mentioned that, just people come out and they would say like, oh, I didn't expect this to be as, as bad as it, as it was, or I like you, I I liked you just as much as Idina, right? Like those types of things, they are backhanded. Oh
2: yeah. And they are harmful. Words, words are very powerful and they are harmful and it's hard it's hard to develop a thick enough skin to let that stuff bounce off, you know, yeah. and not stick with you. Well, um, what you.
0: What do you do? How do you recharge?
2: Uh, well, let's see. It's been a long time since I've done the stage door thing. And unfortunately, it was during Noises Off where I wasn't wearing... My costume was very revealing, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people really thought that they had the right to speak about my body to me, like at the stage door. And that, that was so, it was so harmful. You know, even when you think you're saying something nice, re- like, really like say those words to yourself and, and really, really think about how that could be received before you actually say them to another human being. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, uh, that one was particularly harsh and that was a long time ago. Um, I I don't know what the future of stage doors are after COVID. Not that we're done with COVID, but like like going forward, I don't understand what. If I were a producer, I wouldn't let any of the actors in my show be come into contact with strangers. You know, like (laughs) hordes (laughs) of strangers, and have them speaking in your face. You know, like. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know what the, the future of, of the stage dooring looks like, um, just on a, a health perspective. That was the other thing. There was a while where like, I was trying to, I I was trying to take care of my health, you know, so I would, I would always go out of the stage door with my own Sharpie. And, um, and, uh, someone was like, oh, well, why would you do that? And I was like, oh, just so that we don't pass germs around. They were like, that is so rude. That is so rude that you think that you're going to get germs from me. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. what, what, first of all, that's science. That's like, science. That's science. Second of all, I have to stay healthy to keep doing these shows. And if I don't do these shows, you're going to go online and say I'm a terrible person <laughs> and that I don't respect my job. Like it is a no win situation, you know, uh, yeah, this this has turned into uh, <laughs> be kind at the stage door, you know, type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, no. it's it's really too bad.
0: <laughs> it's it's hard. people people think that doing eight shows a week is is something anyone can do. Mm-hmm. And it is far from that's so far from the truth. It's the hardest this shot. is, yeah, this is the like look at something like Moulin Rouge that has an eight minute sprint as an opening number. And then you're doing okay. yeah. these, these 180 degree kicks and splits and dancing and like the whole damn show is it's this two and a half hour marathon yeah. that you're doing eight times a week. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the, the, the wickeds and, and all these other, Shows that demand so much of their performers and everyone, especially if you haven't seen a show before or you've been obsessed with a cast album and then you're coming to see the show for the first time, you want it exactly like that cast album. And then the cast in the recording booth, you can do multiple takes, you can oh. tweak it, you yeah. can do all sorts of things to make it sound perfect. And then, like you said, if you don't sound exactly perfect eight times a week, you're going to get dragged across the coals.
2: Yeah, I I would love it it would, it would just be such a dream if audiences were just (laughs) and I I'm reminded of this when I see things too. like I, even if like, I find little errors, not errors or things that I think could be fixed or something, then I'm like, Oh, wait a second. Look at all of this stuff that we got, you know, like, yeah, maybe that would that might be better if something this little thing was changed. But like, on the whole, aren't we so lucky to be sitting here? Those two people sitting behind you were so lucky to be sitting there. All mm-hmm. they should have been talking about is how wonderful it was to be back in a the theater again. But no, it was all about comparing these two actresses that, yeah, they're going to play the role differently. Who's better? I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> it, they're different. Everybody's yeah, different. Everybody's and,
2: different, yeah.
0: And the biggest advice that that I take away, the biggest, like thing that sits with me after a hundred and literally 180 something interviews I've done in the podcast here is, is that the more successful you are is a result of how much you embrace what makes you unique. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to emulate somebody else in a, in a role, like when you step in as an understudy or a replacement or whatnot, you're going to hurt yourself. You're not going to be authentic. You're not going to give your best performance period. Yeah. And you're, And you're not going to please everyone anyway, because no. there might be two people that were sitting behind them who disagreed with everything they said. And to this point, there were there was a whole family of, of tourists to me I say tourists. I assume they were because they were not speaking English. That's my assumption, which is, could be wrong. Uh, but they gosh, it, near the end and I forget what I think it's come what may, actually. Aaron Tveit's out there just pouring his guts out on stage, and they are bawling just like, like sobbing. Mm-hmm. I have not heard anybody cry like that in years. They were mm-hmm. sobbing at this stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're having the experience literally five feet away from the people behind me who yeah. are having eh, it's a moderately enjoyable experience. But I guess, you know, to this point, right? Like, Take take the criticism privately and don't have it in the middle of the show and intermission because the people next to me are having the time of their lives.
2: Yeah, and don't don't ruin that for them. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I mean, the other thing too. I mean, art is subjective. You know, like of course everybody's entitled to their opinions, but like like of course, and um and of course some some performers are going to you know um connect with you better you're gonna have a better connection with them than others but like man can we start to like focus on the good stuff like can we can we please like
0: (laughs) I have a I have a silly question for you speaking of the good stuff so uh, given where you are now and everything you've done do you still have pinch me moments who's like the greatest person you've been like holy shit I'm 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 working with Stephen Schwartz coming straight out of college.
2: To, yeah, no, I I have pinch me moments all the time. Uh, one of them is coming up this weekend. Uh, I So lately I've been doing a bunch of shows with Brian Stokes Mitchell, um, who is like, I, I mean, one of the greatest voices of all time. And I get to do, I get to sing with him, you know, like as a job, you know? So yeah, I I have that Uh, this 54 below series of shows is a huge pinch me moment because I haven't played with my band for almost two years right so the first so here's a couple things that that make this series very special November 2nd uh will be the first time our whole band is back together it's going to be a very emotional moment for all of us and very joyous so to witness that is going to be I would think something special because it's going to be special (laughs) for us. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And and we're all going to be really excited and really happy. It's also me and my husband's birth our birthday anniversary anniversary. It's our anniversary. It's our birthday. We have, can't have the same done. birthday. That's no, not cool. we don't have the same birthday. Uh, but it's our anniversary. So, and it's going to be the first time that we've left the house together in almost two years. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like and gone yes. out of the city and state. And, uh, uh, so it's going to be a really, like, that's going to be a real pinch me moment. You know, I'm, uh, I Before everything shut down, I was grateful for these concerts to get to connect with our best friends, with my husband and make the music that we want to perform. Um, the only reason we're doing these songs is because we love them. You know, nobody's making us <laughs> do any of this stuff. So we're, we're, it's, it's truly like a joyous occasion. And this one in particular is going to be huge for us um because i was grateful before now it's going to be a whole different thing you know because we've gone a couple of years without and and once you go without <laughs> especially something you love so much you know the the appreciation just deepens
0: That's perspective you don't know you're hot unless you've been cold you don't know you've been in unless you've been out i mean it's the very basic level it gives you perspective and just being Back in theaters, I've seen almost every show possible that you know when the opportunities presented itself in the last three three to four weeks, just because I can and I don't know now tomorrow Delta variant could just explode and it could be shut down again for another who knows how long. So I don't take any of this for granted, and the fact that this is a community, a chosen family that that love each other and respect each other and want to see each other succeed, and. I, I missed it so much just, yeah, for the last 18 months. And really one of the few things that kept me going was these types of conversations that we're having right, right now with the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And some people are like, there's no Broadway. Can you continue doing your podcast? And I said, I have to. I have you to have continue. To.
2: You have to. Connection. It's a, The whole thing is about connection anyway. And at least we had this, right? Yes,
0: yeah, so at least being able to virtually see each other and smile. Mm-hmm. And you know, I imagine that that there's hugs and love and everything going around, but to not be able to actually touch it is as me as an extrovert, it was actually really, really hard. Yeah. And you know, I still had a group of uh, a, a pod here that I was with, yeah. um group of people that I was close to. but it's just not the same. i love I love like that experience, that feeling of meeting. New people and being in a room of of energy that 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 is all focused in in one direction and heading heading together on the same journey.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah.
0: So, of course, just to reiterate, November second through seventh at fifty four below, get tickets to see Megan Hilty's show. We're gonna wrap up here with the three closing questions I ask everybody on my podcast. Oh boy! oh they're easy. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you.
2: Oh, what motivates me? I, I don't know. Like, this is probably not the answer you're looking for. I just, I feel like there is this like freight train inside of me that is just determined to go where it's going to go. And, you know, I I don't, I don't know that like there are any outside motivations. There's just something inside of me that's like, no, you, you, you have to keep going and you have to go after that.
0: I love that. I love that. There's no wrong answer. so <laughs> <laughs> that
2: works that works.
0: Okay. so the next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path?
2: Uh, take it easy on yourself. i um I, I look back on on specifically like when I see old pictures of me, you know, and I think of how hard I was on myself, you know, for how I looked how I acted. Um, I wasn't this, I wasn't that I wasn't, I focused on all the things that I wasn't, you know, instead of really like sitting with and, and being content with what I was, you know, and I, I focused so much on what I thought other people wanted me to be. Um, that I, I, I could never truly be myself. Um, and it, it took a really long time. And and to be honest, it's still a struggle to, um, um, to just, to, to know that I am enough where I am right now, I am enough. And what I bring to the table is worth something. Um, yeah, I, I wish, I wish I could say that to my younger self and that my younger self would hear it. I don't know if I said that to my younger self, if I would fully hear it. Um, but the, but that's the conversation I would have with her.
0: I have to say that to my present self and yes. I still don't hear it.
2: Yeah. 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 I hear it more now. I hear it more. And the older I get it, the, e. I don't know if easier is the best way, but, uh, way to put it, but, um, I understand it more now. Uh, I wish, I wish I was, I could totally, uh, I wish I could sit here and say like, that's what I practice. And that's. <laughs> and I am enough. Uh, but but it is, it is a practice. It's something that's active that you're actively working on. Um but yeah, I wish my younger self could have could have known a little bit of that.
0: I like that. All right. So the last question, hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Tweeny Todd. <sighs> and we're back.
2: Tweeny Todd. I, had, I mean, I, this is the, this is the easiest one. What are you talking about? Like this is <laughs> This is the easiest question. Yeah,
0: before I even finished finished reading the question, you were nodding. Sweet you're chat. like, yeah, I know, I know, I know.
2: Yeah, this is a sweet time. Oh, I love it. Okay.
0: <laughs> Where can we find you online on social media?
2: Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. It's Megan Hilty. I got that little blue check. Little blue check. Little blue me. Check. Oh, hello, check. It's me. Ding.
0: You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. You can get more of the 54 Below podcast at bpn.fm slash 54 Below. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating and a review of both this podcast and the 54 Below podcast. This has been edited by Well Rounded Hoodland Productions. And Megan Hilty, thank you most of all. This has been so much fun.
1: Thank you. This has been delightful. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.